0: was RKG-3 grenades. Like machine guns and AK-47s, that kind of thing.
1: Small arms, fire, RPG fire. Explosively formed penetrators.
0: Suicide bombs.
1: And then that's about the time that the third IED went off.
0: And that's when another grenade comes spinning over the side of the wall. And it's at that point, the IED chain detonates.
1: There was enemy in the wire. There's all these Humvees on fire. It, It was truly bullets flying from every angle that that you could see. I open the
0: door and look outside, and all I see is muzzle flashes. There's a guy on top with a 240, and the rounds pass right past his head. At that point, our instincts kicked in. One, one pilot on the controls, the other pilot was using his M4 to engage single man targets on the ground. You're shooting at everything. It was a fight.
1: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to this episode of The Spear. I'm your host, Tim Heck. Today, we're joined by Mike Carlson, a civil affairs officer who at the time of this story was a transportation officer.
0: Mike, welcome to The Spear. Thanks, Tim. Appreciate you having me on.
1: Can you tell us a little about yourself, how you wound up in the Army?
0: I kind of grew up in a military family in Chesapeake, Virginia. My dad was a retired naval officer, so joining the military was always something I'd wanted to do growing up. I eventually made my way to the Virginia Military Institute and uh, commissioned into the Army through uh, ROTC. Simultaneous to that, I was also in the, the Virginia Army National Guard as an enlisted 11 Bravo infantryman. So uh, joining the military and preparing to be in the military was, was kind of a lot of my childhood and early, early adulthood. What did
1: you study at VMI?
0: Uh, I studied uh, psychology, Um, so my original major was electrical engineering, but I found out that math and science wasn't really my thing, so I chose the, this will get me to commission uh, degree.
1: And your experiences at VMI, how did they help shape that kind of initial period of your Army career?
0: It was, uh, I think it was a great preparation, one, just kind of being with um, other folks that we're also preparing to do similar things in, in any one of the um, service branches. And then while I was at VMI, between my freshman and sophomore year, I went to basic training in infantry, AIT at, at Fort Benning. And so that was just was kind of a, those first couple of years of college, so to speak, were, were pretty intense, but uh, it was a, I think a really good preparation and gave me a solid foundation.
1: And affirmed, obviously, that this is what you wanted to do.
0: Yep, absolutely. So
1: you commission? What do you commission as?
0: Commissioned as a transportation officer. I I picked transportation because at, at that point, really, by the end of VMI, um, you know, I wanted to leave myself some some options if you know, maybe I get into service and it's it's not something I'm good at or it's not something I like, and I. I You know, wanted to have potential for a job after. So I thought logistics or transportation would be the best way to do that.
1: And so this, you're commissioned in when?
0: 2008? Yep, 2008.
1: After commissioning, what's your pipeline?
0: So after um, commissioning, it was uh, at that time they were doing the basic officer leadership course. So I went straight to Fort Knox to be kind of like a lieutenant cadre member for the leadership training camp, basically waiting for a school date. And so I, I was on active duty like three days after after graduation. Um, so then from Fort Knox, finally went into the Bullock II course at uh, Fort Sill. Um, and then from there, went right to the transportation officer basic course. It was at Fort Eustis at the time. Um, that was through December. Uh, and that takes us into 2009. I went to airborne school at Fort Benning. Um, And then I arrived to my first duty station at uh, Fort Bragg, North Carolina in about February of 2009. And who were you attached to at Bragg? Uh, So I was in the 82nd Combat Aviation Brigade. Um, I was uh, in 1st Squadron, 17th Cavalry, and I was in the Forward Support Troop.
1: What does the Forward Support Troop do?
0: The Ford Support Troop provides logistical support, um, so ground maintenance, generator maintenance, um, and then primarily, I think, the main mission of the Ford Support Troop in an aircraft squadron is to provide uh, fuel and ammo rearmament points or FARPs. And so that was, you know, the mission of the, the FST was to extend the operational reach of the Kiowa Squadron.
1: It's 2009. Check into Fort Bragg. How long are you expecting to be there?
0: So when I got to Fort Bragg, uh, I, I thought I was going to be there until in the late two thousand nine November ish was kind of when I was thinking I knew we were going to go to Afghanistan, but uh I, I thought I had some time to you know find a place and you know settle in, train, get to know the crew. But uh, when I got there, it was I mean no sooner than maybe a week or so when I was told, "Hey, pack your bags and put them into a conex. We're leaving." in a couple of months. And I, I think I vividly remember telling my first sergeant that I don't have any bags yet and I'm not sure what a Connex is. Um, and then they just kind of started started the ball rolling.
1: Did you get a platoon when you showed up?
0: I, I did not. So when I showed up, I certainly was prepared to to lead a platoon, right? That's what I'd spent kind of the last year preparing and to do. Two platoons in the forward support troop had platoon leaders, and so they put me in the troop XO spot. I I remember at the time, it definitely thinking you know, that was odd. I'm like, I'm the least experienced lieutenant in the troop executive officer slot. By troop commander's logic at the time was was unique. I mean, it was basically like, yeah, since you are the newest lieutenant, I'll keep you closest to me, I can kind of like mentor and develop you. Uh, and then when a platoon leader spot opens up, um, you can take one of those. So yeah, initial disappointment, but no, did not did not walk into a platoon leader slot.
1: And how many platoons are in a forward support troop?
0: So there's two. There's the there's the maintenance platoon, and then the uh, the three five or distribution platoon, um, and then there's the uh, headquarters section.
1: Why did your deployment get moved up?
0: So in uh, two thousand nine, um, that was kind of the so sort of the beginning really of like the Afghanistan surge. So it you know, certainly wasn't my unit. There was a lot of forces flowing into Afghanistan at that time, and that was just where the need was so that was you know that was kind of what I got rolled up into how long
1: after checking into Fort Bragg do you actually wind up in country
0: it was uh I believe it was a couple of months and and during those couple of months mind you there was a there was a JRTC rotation in there so I want to say I mean you know this is a while ago but I want to say I was I was probably there maybe for a couple of weeks. And then we went to, to JRTC at Fort Polk. I think I might have gotten a week or so of leave after. And then, uh, yeah, and then we were, we were rolling. That's
1: an f- awfully fast turnaround time for a, a brand new lieutenant, especially in an XO role. Did you feel prepared? What, what was your emotional state at the time about your, your competency?
0: Yeah. So, um, to, yeah, to be honest, no, I, I did not, I did not feel prepared at all. I had, uh, I mean, I had spent like the years and years prior, right. Like kind of myopically preparing to do one thing, you know, I, I'd seen the spliced band of brothers leadership clips and like gotten the, the kind of canned talking points. Uh, and I was ready, you know, I was ready for the platoon. Hey, you know, I'm Lieutenant Carlson, all that, you know, the intro and no part of me had, had, uh, envisioned this scenario. And so I mean, like I kind of jokingly referred to it at the time as like a fly by the seat of my pants adventure, um, or just like, hey, we're doing this. And so I just accepted and like, hey, yeah, I'm not prepared. I don't know what I'm doing. If I can learn one new thing every day, uh, that's a win. And then we'll just kind of put everything else I had prepared for on the back burner. Maybe I get to do that sometime down the road.
1: What kind of support did you have in that learning process?
0: I had outstanding non-commissioned officers, Echo Troop, um, the, the Ford Support Troop, had outstanding non-commissioned officers in, in both the platoons and in the headquarters section. They they understood their role, not, not only just, you know, as, as anyone would understand it, to, you know, kind of lead that platoon, but also to lead and mentor that that young officer. Uh, And they took that seriously. And so mentorship across the board from the senior NCOs in both platoons, uh, from my troop commander, they really took a lot of time. And I'm a pretty difficult person to to teach, fairly stubborn. So I definitely credit them for taking that time and helping me along the way.
1: Your relationship with your fellow platoon commanders?
0: So positive. Um, The distribution platoon leader outstanding he had been in that seat for i don't want say like a year at that time and so him specifically like i just remember you know watching him at jrtc and talking to him and he was quite frankly like everything that i wanted to be or like that i thought i was like i'm gonna work towards that that's that's what i want the maintenance platoon leader on a personal level we got on just fine Professionally, not so much. Just I kind of remember, you know, when I first got there, I had that initial chip on my shoulder of, you know, I'm I'm waiting for this this platoon leader slot, and I just remember, you know, looking at the maintenance platoon leader and and just kind of wondering when his clock was going to be up and mine was going to start. To be totally honest, what else is going on in your life at this time? So, my uh, my dad, he had a uh, terminal brain cancer diagnosis. and so, just to rewind a little bit on the timeline for context, um, so I found out uh, I found out my junior year of college that he was stage four uh, brain cancer, and so this was like a known thing, and I'd gone through my whole senior year of college and like training after I commissioned, just knowing this, and you know his his prognosis, you know, shifted left and right. But ultimately, we kind of all knew like where, where this was going. When I set off to Afghanistan with my unit, you know, I remember talking to my dad and he came and he saw me off with, with my mom. And um, you know, I thought things were going to be okay, certainly through the deployment. And I kind of pushed whatever else you know, the possibilities were to the back of my mind and really just like focused on, tried to focus on the rotation.
1: Had you talked to your troop leadership about this?
0: I did. I talked to my troop commander and my first sergeant specifically, and they were the only ones that that I told. Yeah, I, re- I really struggled with that. Right, like I'm a a new lieutenant, early 20s, and at that time, I wasn't really sure you know who to tell. And at a minimum, I knew I could, you should tell my troop commander and first sergeant. But you know, if I'm being honest, I think I even with them minimized that to try to paint the best picture of of hey, you know, but I'm still ready to go on this deployment and. You know, I'm still ready for you know a platoon leader job if if that opens up. And so, yeah, I did tell them, but um, it definitely minimized it, downplayed it. Any idea why you think you did that? Um, yeah. So at at that time, like I mentioned, you know, it was it was the surge, and and you know, the units were flown into Afghanistan. And I think in my mind at the, at the time, I just I saw it as as part of my my duty to. Hey, like you know, Mike Carlson can deal with his personal life stressors and things on on Mike's time. But Lieutenant Carlson has a job and a mission. And his unit's going forward, and that's that's what he's doing. Also, that that's got to kind of bifurcated it just like that in my mind. How'd your family react to your deployment? So they they supported it, and you know, like I had mentioned before, I come from a military family. So I, I'll say also, you know, at this same time, my brother. Was in the Navy, deployed on the Nimitz, and so my dad was the one that commissioned me just the year prior. He understood. My mom understood that you know I I was in the military and had a mission to do, so they supported it, and I went forward with that with that understanding. You deployed to to Afghanistan. Where do you go? What do you do? So we deployed to RC South. We were on Kandahar airfield at that time the uh the airfield that our squadron or our task force task force saber was going to be operating out of wasn't even built yet so i remember the first two or three months of that tour our squadron commander called it aircraft carrier operations and so there was a we were in a very small hangar it was a lot of uh you know moving things around to using space as, as best you can and and then building an airfield, quite literally, myself and and details from the maintenance platoon and the distribution platoon with uh, an Air Force um, engineer unit laying AM two matting down and and building the airfield that our task force would would eventually end up operating out of for the the remainder of the rotation. How much
1: communication do you have back home?
0: I so I was I was very lucky. Um, I, I was on uh, Kandahar, uh, Kandahar Airfields. Large base, and so I had about you know email wise you know about as much communication as as I had wanted to I was getting updates from my mom and I you know probably spoke to my mom uh, over the phone maybe once a week, I think
1: How's Lieutenant Carlson dealing with Mike?
0: totally ignoring him. And so, yeah, this really ties into the, you know, how much communication did I have back home? I mean, I guess a more honest answer to that would be about as much as I wanted to, which, which wasn't a whole lot. I knew that anytime I called back home, it would just kind of take me into a different mindset. And so I tried to, you know, balance that, right? Like, Hey, let me call. But also I, I feel like it's a distraction to me. So, um, yeah, I really just, I, I poured myself into, into the work, into, um, you know, whatever came up and then really just making the best case I possibly could for, um, for becoming a platoon leader.
1: Did you wind up becoming a platoon leader?
0: I, I did. So, um, the maintenance platoon leader, you know, he just, his, his kind of leadership ability and that platoon kind of quickly, uh, got away from him. Um, there was some indiscipline issues and, um, this was, in the fall of, of 2009, and I was appointed as an investigating officer for maintenance platoon. Uh, effectively, the I was charged to investigate the maintenance platoon for a mis, like misuse of the Class 9 accounts. They were ordering things with the Class 9 accounts that, that they were not for vehicle maintenance, so they weren't supposed to be ordering. And so I, I put that in my findings, and my recommendation was... That uh, the platoon leadership be held responsible and accountable, which they were, and then I went on emergency leave
1: before we go to emergency leave, what's class nine?
0: Class nine is um, a it's a category of of supply that pertains mostly to to maintenance, so vehicles, uh rolling stock generators and their their parts and things like that. It's a wide range of things, but it applies mostly to to maintenance um, and they're ordered through the motor pool or through the, the maintenance section.
1: And what was the platoon ordering that they shouldn't
0: have? Specifically, flat screen monitors. There were, uh, I, I I couldn't remember how many, but uh, it was more than zero. So the unauthorized amount of flat screen monitors and they they did not serve a, uh, a maintenance purpose at all, obviously. So yeah, that's kind of what came out of that.
1: And these are flat screen TVs or flat screen computer monitors? Oh, yeah. Flat screen TVs. Right. Yep. So the investigation comes out. You've done your investigation. What is that like as, as the XO investigating internally to a platoon that you possibly hope to lead?
0: Yeah. So incredibly awkward because I had known at that point, like all of those NCOs and soldiers. And at the time, like I thought my appointment as the investigating officer was like a simultaneous, hey, yeah, you're going to get a platoon, but it's not going to be this platoon. I I just, in my mind, I was like, there's no way that I'm going to be leading this platoon. So maybe I'm going somewhere else after this. And so that's kind of what got me through the investigation, you know, and the initial awkwardness of like, okay, well, you know, when these findings come out and this all comes out, you know, I'll be moved or transferred. And uh, that's, that's not what played out. So
1: was this for the, for the soldiers investigated, was this a career ender?
0: for the uh for the leadership for the officer yes and uh one of the NCOs uh, the platoon sergeant he was getting close to retirement so it was it was a uh, yeah hey, thank you for your service and uh and kind of move on on a slightly expedited timeline and then for the I will say for the maintenance uh sergeant or the motor sergeant no he went on to to continue his service and uh, by all accounts did quite well recovered from this so there
1: there was a little bit of a silver lining, at least for him, that he was able to, to recover.
0: Yep. Yeah.
1: I want to jump back to Mike. You said earlier, before we went into a little bit more about the investigation, the emergency leave popped up. What had happened? So
0: I had found out that my dad's prognosis had declined fairly rapidly. And my mom sent an emergency leave request, I think it was around September of 2009. Um and I remember talking to her and you know, I could just tell, I'm like, okay, you know, hey, this is, this is it, right? It's happening. Like my dad's, he's, he's not going to make it. We've got maybe a couple months. And that initial emergency leave request was declined by my brigade. And so Mike was pretty pissed about that. Um, but Lieutenant Carlson just, I mean, at that time, I, I really, I mean, at that time I thought, okay, well, you know, if the brigade declined it, then, you know, certainly it was for a reason. And it's you know time to get back to work. This was also kind of in the middle of the investigation. This was all happening at the same time. And then I remember speaking to my mom a couple of weeks later, and, and she sent a second Red Cross message that, that kind of painted a better picture, so to speak, of, of what the prognosis was. And then I was approved for emergency leave, went back home in December. I, I, the last thing I did was, you know hey, sir, Sergeant Major, here's my findings from this investigation. And then I, I got on a bird and, and flew back home.
1: How long was emergency leave?
0: It was 14 days. And so I spent that in, um, in Chesapeake, Virginia. My dad was in hospice at that time. So at home, you know, it was two weeks.
1: Did you have contact with the unit back in Afghanistan or was this just Mike and family time?
0: Uh, I did so uh, through email. You know the kind of obligatory things. You know, I I let them know when I got there. I didn't communicate with them too much beyond that, other than you know letting them know when I got there. And and my dad actually uh, he passed during that time, so I was able to to be there for that. And I I vividly remember that evening sending my my unit an email, sending my unit an email and saying, "Hey, you know my dad passed away." And asking for guidance on like when I could when I could fly back. I mean, that was like the next thing on my mind. Why do you
1: think you did that?
0: At that point, it was like a conditioned response for me. Like I had kind of made a habit at that point in the preceding like months of uh hey, putting Mike in the corner and 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 just Lieutenant Carlson just diving into, into his work. I still saw it as you know my my duty and my obligation. I knew that my troop was was one officer down. There was an investigation that had just wrapped up. I didn't know what the findings of that were. And I also spoke to my mom about it. You know, my brother was still in the Nimitz, and we talked to him. And you know, I, I helped plan the memorial and and get things in order. But it was kind of an assessment of between my mom and I and the unit of like, you know, where am I needed the most? And my mom, like to her credit, that really held down a lot at home. And I just did. Did not think I was needed there as much as I was back with my unit in Afghanistan.
1: You said you had two weeks approved. How much of that leave did you wind up taking?
0: Um, it was the uh, it was it was the full two weeks. So he he passed towards the end of that. So it was uh, didn't have to be extended. Um, was able to be there. There was a small memorial service that we held and then with travel timelines and everything being what they were I think you know I might have gotten back a little bit after after 14 days but uh but yeah it was the the 14 days
1: you're back in Afghanistan what happens
0: so me- memories being what they are like the weirdest things stick out to you so like everything was a blur right like I you know I, I got my bags I'm going back to Afghanistan I land on Kandahar um and the the ramp comes down and, and it's dusty and I'm walking by, uh, this air force crew chief and he slaps me on the back and he says, Merry Christmas, sir. And it, it just, it was wild. Like it, it didn't even occur to me that it was Christmas. and I like, totally just had no idea like when it was. And so that was like a flash of like, Oh, that, that's weird. But then the second I sat down on, you know, on the ramp and, and, uh, and made it back to my unit, I me mean, any thought again of, of, you know, that context and personal context and all that that all went away. So I checked in with my with my troop and my squadron and I found out that night uh that they did decide to go ahead with the findings of my investigation, that platoon leadership was relieved and then was surprised to find out that I was effective immediately the new platoon leader of, of the maintenance platoon.
1: What was your reaction to that?
0: Crap. That like in my in my mind, immediately uh, just complete there's a complete like This is wild. Uh, Questions, all the questions. Who's my platoon sergeant? You went with all of my findings, like as I recommended, we get rid of him too. And just total shock, surprise. Again, was not in my in my calculation at all. And so yeah, that was kind of like I kind of sat in that for a good bit of of just allowing myself to accept that reality. But total shock.
1: First time you're standing out in front of the soldiers. What's going through your head?
0: It was. It was a, really, what do I say? You know, what, which was odd to me, right? Because like I had planned for months, for years, you know, it was going to be this this thing. And, the, you know, I was going to have this prepared, you know, these prepared remarks and like, uh, you know, a plan and a vision. And yeah, it was none of that. It was, uh, I don't know, it's something to the effect of, hey, hey, guys, you know me, I'm Lieutenant Carlson. I'm your new platoon leader. This is your new platoon sergeant. They did bring him in from, from another battalion. And it, I, it wasn't any longer than than two or three minutes. I don't think it was just kind of shock across the board. How's
1: the rest of the deployment work out for you?
0: Well, in a, in a work sense, the platoon sergeant and I, the platoon sergeant that they brought on, outstanding non commissioned officer. There was a, a there was a steep learning curve for me as a platoon leader, partly because of just the conditions under which I took that platoon, but then also because again, my default response at that time was to was to pour myself into work. And so probably, you know, looking back an overactive platoon leader, right? Like wanting to be involved in in everything from, you know, hands-on maintenance to sitting in on the briefs. I mean, just like running myself ragged, trying to squeeze every ounce of work out of every day, just to, to focus on that and really not think about anything else
1: is that your reflection looking back or did at the time did you have inklings that hey maybe i'm neglecting mike
0: yeah great question so at the time uh no i think i think that t- at the time pouring myself into into work it was like man i'm i'm crushing this this is uh this is awesome i'm i'm working 18 19 hours a day stuff's getting done the the platoon's doing well maintenance stats are going up like i am absolutely like nailing this this is what i was You know, prepared to do this is going. This is going pretty awesome. Did the wheels ever wind up falling off? Yeah, they they did. Uh, The wheels were the uh, senior non commissioned officers uh, in the platoon. So, um, I my platoon sergeant again credit him outstanding NCO pulled me aside. It was like, hey, sir, you know, we got we got to talk to you about some things. Um, and they just you know kind of he proceeded to just tell me like just everything just laid it out like you know you cannot you you're you're, you're involved in every aspect of the day like there's no that's like you're with the platoon all the time there's no time for people to think about things or you know just enjoy normal aspects of their day or make mistakes without like you or someone else like being around and like I'm I'm listening to all this and so and that's coming right up against like my own jaded but personal understanding of like man I'm I'm doing awesome and it was super humbling because it just did not it did not mesh at all with what my kind of view of how things uh, were going.
1: So it doesn't mesh. How do you react?
0: I asked him, you know, hey, can I sit with this? I do remember saying that and looking back, I'm, I'm actually glad I did. I was like, hey, let me, you know, can we talk about this tomorrow? Um, let me just sit with this for 24 hours. And then we had a, a better kind of more productive conversation the next day and that that next day really was the like, hey lieutenant carlson to to sergeant first class minix you know these are these are the things that that i kind of want and see and 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 uh expect from the platoon sergeant minix to to me like okay yeah sir the, these are the things that i expect from my platoon leader called an initial counseling if you will uh <laughs> a couple of months into it um and we ended up having that conversation but not until i you know hit the wall 24 hours prior to that
1: how much of hitting the wall do you think was army related was lieutenant carlson and how much of that was mike
0: um so at at the time um i th- at the time I, I really i i attributed that to to lieutenant carlson right okay this makes sense i haven't really done an initial counseling with with sergeant minix and i kind of i put a lot in that in that bin of like that explanation, been Like this is the reason. Looking back, my my understanding is the complete opposite. That I was completely like Mike hiding behind uh, the mountain of work I created for myself to to avoid thinking about anything else.
1: You've had this counseling session. You've leveled the bubbles a little bit with your with your platoon sergeant. You guys have clearer expectations of of your expectations, your needs, his expectations, his needs. How does the platoon react to this?
0: Really well, uh, thankfully, and and positively. So the the platoon, um, it was kind of a migration for them back towards what they were more accustomed to, which was a direct, hands-on, non-commissioned officer leadership, with the officer providing you know general guidance at, at the be- beginning of the week or at key touch points. And and ironically, I, I remember thinking this at the time, like how odd this was, like. Prior to this hitting the wall, and I had wanted to be involved in everything, right? And after I had sat down with Sergeant Minix and and stepped back a little bit from like the direct hands-on stuff, I found that like more soldiers in my platoon were were approaching me and like talking to me about things and like sharing things. I just thought that was so weird. Like I'm not actually trying to. Be involved. Uh, but like it's the process of stepping back, like actually caused like these people to open up and like share things with me. I just, I, I thought it was totally bizarre at the time. Did Sergeant Minix know about your dad? He did. Yeah. I, I did, I did share that with him. And I, you know, I, I want to say, I think t- like really, I think the whole troop knew, right? Cause like it was an emergency leave request. And so, you know, that has to go up through, through so many levels. So yeah, I think everyone kind of had a, a peripheral awareness, but I, I do remember I sat down with Sergeant Minix and, and we had that conversation pretty shortly after I got back. How much longer
1: are you in Afghanistan?
0: So I was, uh, after getting back from emergency leave, four months till the end of the rotation.
1: Anything other than that, that conversation? I'm assuming the, the maintenance continues to be high functioning, the troops doing well.
0: Yeah, it uh, it, it went really well after that initial hitting the wall. I want to say that was like a month, a month and a half into it, and you know, I just kind of like settled into, hey, this is this is great. You know, I'm a maintenance platoon leader now. I'm I'm doing this and like preparing for for redeployment. I kind of broader context, but for Lieutenant Carlson at the time, I had also decided in the couple of months of uh, leading the maintenance platoon that maybe logistics wasn't my passion, so to speak but that I enjoyed leadership and, and, and the service aspect of it. And so kind of in my mind at the time, you know, I really started to churn on, okay, how do I continue to do this leadership thing, but like maybe not with the logistics aspects of it?
1: The space that you received after that initial counseling with Sergeant Menix, did that give Mike a chance to pop his head up or did you continue to keep Mike at bay?
0: I continued to keep... To keep mike at bay so you know i was like i had mentioned already starting to formulate the the what next question in my mind just just like what next for my service in the army i knew i didn't really like logistics but i knew that transition wasn't going to be immediate and so like what next in that troop like i knew after maintenance platoon i wanted to be the distribution platoon leader so i, I just set another goal and, and, uh, really, I yeah, kept Mike, kept Mike on the back burner for, for a long time.
1: When did Mike move to the front burner?
0: Yeah, it's, that's, that's, uh, that's a wild contemplation because I would say that's, that's, that's all fairly recent within like maybe the last, uh, the last couple of years. So, you know, after, after I got back, you know, I eventually ended up doing all the things that I wanted to do. I'd accomplished those goals professionally had gotten married, gotten divorced, and just chased more opportunities professionally and Mike didn't really come to the forefront until until he was forced to. I just kind of started to notice like over time that the amount of energy I had to spend to achieve like the same level of results that I was comfortable with was was higher and it just felt like it was it, every year was more exhausting every assignment was was more kind of mentally Exhausting, and so I would say, like two or three years ago, it just kind of came to a head of like, hey, we gotta, to myself, take take a another azimuth here because this something is not is not jiving.
1: What would you go back and tell Lieutenant Carlson?
0: I so I would go back and and tell him that uh, knowing how you know kind of he was at the time, I, I'd probably start off by saying like, hey, I, I just want to let you know that Lieutenant Carlson and Then later Captain Carlson and Major Carlson, like that's that's gonna work out just fine. You're gonna be successful, you're gonna achieve the goals that that you want to achieve. And so with that being said, like that's that's not something you have to kind of myopically focus on like as much. I, I would tell him that you know, he needs to actually process and think about what had happened on emergency leave. Like, hey, like you lost your father. That's not a, you know, an everyday thing. And it's okay to to feel something about that, you know, there was a lot of comparison in my mind at the time of like, well, you know, I, my deployment wasn't as hard as so-and-so's deployment or, you know, so-and-so lost this, that, and the other, and they're fine. So, you know, I should be fine. I would go back and and tell Lieutenant Carlson, like, first off, like, you don't know that. You don't know that about anyone else who's fine and who's not fine. And, And second off, your feelings are your feelings and you're allowed to feel those things um, and you need to find a space and people that that you feel safe sharing those things with because it's going to start to impact your work if you don't and your just quality of life in general.
1: Mike, thanks for appearing on this episode of The Spear.
0: Thanks, Tim. I appreciate it. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Spear. The Spear is produced by the Modern War Institute at West Point.